I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. I'm John Seidel. You're listening to Rebel Radio. Fuck you, Josh. What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up, what up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Peanut Butter Wolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh-huh. Rebel Radio is going down. What did you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. What's up, Rebels? Happy New Year, and welcome back to Rebel Radio 2019 edition. We're now in our fourth year of Rebel Radio. We started back in 2015, and we are bringing it to you once and for all. Uh, We're going to kick off this year with a great episode. My man, John Seidel. I've known John for probably about 20 years. Um, Actually, we didn't talk about this on the show, but my son was born at Cedar sinai which uh, was right across the street from John's restaurant, Dominic's, and I hosted a little uh, little drinks celebration the night my son was born in his restaurant. John's also a, a longtime club promoter, important figure in the LA scene. He's been an A&R guy working with artists like The Crystal Method and The White Stripes. These days, he's a DJ and the host of Idelic Sounds over at TheVinylDistrict.com. And John's kind of a rock guy who has always understood hip-hop and dance music. And, you know, you'll hear him talk about, to him, it's all rock and roll. He's got some great stories from the club scene, thoughts on how the business is changing and the, uh, the craziness that continues to be the music business, and some insights into how he keeps his rebel spirit over the years. Great, great interview coming up right after our EDM.com track of the week. Cookies. And I'm too fucking fly out here to let you overlook me 
Yo, that was 88 miles per hour with Top Floor, the EDM.com track of the week. Get over to EDM.com, check out more new music. And right now, let's get into the interview with John Seidel. Hey, by the way, I heard you do this, and I'll be like, that'll keep me going for another like six months or something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, so. That helps. Well, thanks for doing this, man. I, I've been, uh, you know, you're a, um, I was trying to remember how we know each other and I have, I have no idea. I, you're just one of those people that I feel like I've always known. Um, that and means you're old because you can't, you're, <laughs> of course. you're, uh, we, it's before the beginning of time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We can't trace it on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. Before, um, I always like to say, I'm like, you know, I'm so old. I'm like the first person you've met to own an answering machine in Los Angeles. That's hilarious. It's pretty old. Um, and you know, I, I, so I think I knew of you as like an A&R guy and a publisher, because that's probably when we met. And then along the way, I learned that you had restaurants. And then, so it's like every, I always learn kind of more about you. There's just so many layers um, to what you've done over the years. And so I'm excited to dig into some of that. Um, yeah, when I was coming down here today and I, I mentioned I was doing this with you, I, uh, I had to say Herb Magazine. Of course. And like, um, just, I mean, how critically influential it was. And so I know you from the dawn uh, yep. of me coming in contact with Herb. So, um, you know, I don't know when you guys started, but it wasn't the first minute you started, but it was right. like, you know, in the, the year or two, it was before you started putting out compilations and stuff. Uh -huh. Yeah. And so, um, you know, uh, I'm that kind of guy that would like totally appreciate like the influence of that on today. I mean, I think that's interesting because you, you know, you're definitely a rock guy and I sort of associate you with that, but you've also, you know, you seem, you've been very open and you know involved in hip-hop and, and with djs and you know other things along the way and um so i want to i want to dig into that but um but i want to start with how it kind of started for you and uh do you remember even the first record you ever bought close to it yeah, yeah. those are the kind of things that i remember <laughs> what was it okay uh, it was three, I believe. Um, I bought uh, Led Zeppelin three, mm -hmm. Jethro Tull's Benefit. Oh, for crying out loud! I believe there was a third one. I'm racking my brain. I'd like to say it was Sabbath, Buddy Sabbath, but I don't think it was. But I just remember at the time uh, thinking that 
you know, Jethro Tull was a guy, and sure. there was a guy named Led Zeppelin, and that was like a weird name, <laughs> Led. Right. His brother Bob Zeppelin. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, uh, I know where it was, too. It was, there was a record store on Madison Avenue, and like, I'll say it was 89th Street, a little teeny record store. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, those are the days of record stores. And so were you one of those kids that was just consumed with music, like music was your life as a, as a youngster? I was really, I was, yeah, to completely consumed with um, uh, music, record collecting, mm -hmm. sports, and drugs. Mm -hmm. uh, or the mix of all of them together I would call uh, 70s juvenile delinquency. Sure. Coolest. Yeah. Uh, and going to concerts, my mother would refer to me refers referred to me as a concert kid. What was uh, your first concert? With parents like without, or without? without your parents. Oh, I'll I'll that was Alice Cooper at Madison Square Garden. Oh wow, yeah. How old? Thirteen. Nice, I believe. That's yeah. a big night out. Not too not too long after that, I saw the Stones. Uh huh. And. Uh, you know, then tons to follow. Yeah. yeah, I've pretty much seen everybody since 1975. Wow. And so, but, uh, but that wasn't like, uh, were you in bands? Did you, were you playing music? Eventually I, I, um, I was in bands. Yes, of course. Um, you know, my mindset, which is completely outdated. Um, how could you, my mindset, growing up and i guess it's still the same how could you not be in a rock and roll band right. why wouldn't you want to be a rock star why would you think about doing anything but that um so i was in bands and i owned guitars and the i for the life of me i couldn't play one worth a shit uh -huh. after many years but why did that stop you that never stopped me yeah uh, yes. Yeah. And so, and then at what point did this, um, did you start thinking of it as, as a career? I mean, I never, as far as music being a career, uh, I guess I never really thought about a career until I was in my thirties when I decided to go into the music business from the nightclub business. Yeah. Uh, although the nightclub business was the same business <clears throat> I was in, I am now, and the same business as the music business, you know, is really just but did you, you know, being in the rock and roll business. As far that's as what I'm concerned. wondering, like, did you decide to go into the nightclub business or did it sort of just happen? It, 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 it was a natural progression that just happened. Yeah. Yeah. At one point, there was a pretty well-known business manager who I was involved with. Uh, I turned to him and said, you know, during my nightclub days, what if this all goes wrong? And he laughed and said, don't think about that. Just keep going. Awesome. <laughs> So I was always, in, you know, my heroes and my influences were like, you know, I always wanted to be a combination 
of Jim Morrison and Dennis Hopper and Easy Rider. And when you drove up on Dennis Hopper, if you were the man, he looked at you from his motorcycle and he gave you the finger and told you to fuck off. And that was just my goal, is to be able to tell the man to go fuck off and do my own thing. And that's, um, you so, know, that's probably not probably the best advice I would give someone now, but um, that's just the way I consume culture and the way I thought when I was a kid and I mean, that, dedicated. That's a, I don't think, that's not that different from what's happening today. I, I don't think these kids would articulate it the same way, but, you know, there's this, uh, you know, there's this whole thing about people trying to uh, drop out of the workforce in their 30s. Right. And there's there's all this. Uh, if you read the job stats and rightly, like, there's a there's a gap of young men who are sort of trying to opt out. And uh, so they might not say it the same way or they're doing it through trying to be in a startup that cashes them out that they don't have to work or whatever. Right. But it's not that different. No, I uh, I'm not you know, I'm not one to to say, you know, I, I could say those are the good old days, but, you know, I thought the good old days, I missed them, you know, like the good old days were like the 50s and 60s or something, and I missed them, but, oh, wow. and, you know, so I always think, and I've always thought that there's a group of people that are young, that are doing this, you know, like what I did back when I was young, and, and I just think it's like handed generation to generation, and I, yeah. I agree, whatever that is, is something that I wouldn't, I shouldn't fully be able to compute and understand the logic. So sure. I'm glad to know that information. I do think that there is a weirdness going on with males, young males, like yeah. millennial males, you know, um, where uh, I, I scratch my head, you know, uh, go like, fuck, like millennial women, uh, I could see doing, you know, they have more of a reason like for me to go like, okay, I get this. Yeah. You know? Not yeah. a reason, but like I, no, I know what you mean. Yeah, I see that. Like musically, I'm I'm not sure where millennial males are at, except for I know they don't like rock and roll and they like hip hop, but I I don't know. Yeah, I don't. You know, there's uh there's different arguments on that, right? And and I, you know, I've heard people say, first of all, I think certain types of music are easier to make than rock you don't have to concern yourself with learning instruments um although i think it's also like for people that did play rock which i i wasn't really one of them but um i don't think anybody would see that as like a chore it's like it's not like oh i want to i want you know i want to make these songs but like in order to do that i have to learn the instrument i don't think people really see it that way but I think it's just easier, right? And uh, with technology to make EDM or, or hip hop, you don't need a band, you don't, you don't need all this stuff, right? And then, you know, I've also heard the argument that hip hop especially is kind of synonymous with the American dream, especially of, of the financial side of that. Um, you know, I know my experience trying to bring brands together with artists, you know, rock musicians are the only ones left who care at all about credibility or selling out or any of that. Like, you know, we used to have that with rappers, you know, probably more so, uh, you know, 10 years ago, 15, but that's all gone. Like everyone just wants money. Whereas I think 
the rock bands that I know still kind of care about what they're putting out there. Some of them. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, not, I'm generalizing, obviously. Yeah, um, no, I mean, obviously, you know, there's, it's interesting. Yeah, but I also think it's cyclical and it's, you know, the world's going to keep changing. That's just the nature of things. Um, uh, but so wait, okay, so how do you get, like in your mind, how do you get from the Dennis Hopper mentality to opening a nightclub? What was the first club? The first club that I, well, that I opened? Or it, that was like your first, well, the first you club that, uh, you like know, I mean, thing. definitely, if you're, you know, we're talking, um, right, we're, we're on record here. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's easiest just to say the first club that, that I was involved in is Power Tools. Yeah. Um, it was a nightclub in the, in the 80s. Yeah. And um, I originally started working there and I ended up co-owning it with, you know, one of the owners. One of the owners took off. You know, I had uh, been in college. In fact, I took over ownership, co-ownership of the club uh, the day, the, the, the late morning of graduation oh, at wow. UCLA. I was actually still in my gown. I had gotten home from graduation and I yeah. got the phone call and I was, all I wanted to do was party. And my ex-partner was like, no, no, forget all that shit. I need to know now, are you in or are you out? And wow. I was like, okay. I thought I was gonna bounce to Europe, you know, like that's what, you know, when you were, when you graduated, you asked your parents for a trip to Europe and a rail pass. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know what they do now, but anyways, that's what, I, that was my plan. So I figured I'd delay that plan and work the summer in LA doing this nightclub. And, and then that lasted two years and then I don't know, I did 12, I think 12 more clubs and restaurants and bars after that before I got into the music business. So it lasted a whole decade. Rebel Radio is brought to you by HoneyBook. Uh, over at Rebel Industries, the parent company for the Rebel Radio show, we work with a ton of freelancers. We use copywriters, producers, editors, designers, Everything we can think of, we try to hire the best people we can. Um, we hire them because they're great at what they do, but they're not always great at some of the business details, proposals, invoices, contracts, that kind of stuff. We're talking about small business owners, solo entrepreneurs, um, people with, with talent and creativity and skills. And, and I think they should be using HoneyBook, and maybe so should you. If you're not familiar, HoneyBook is an all-in-one business management platform makes it easy to manage your business with uh, automated features and templates for contracts, proposals, invoices. You can get paid faster. There's calendars so you don't forget what you're supposed to do. Um, it's really a great system and uh, really, really streamlines and simplifies managing a business. It allows you to save time and do more of what you do or do more sitting on the beach or whatever the hell you're going to do. That's why we partnered with HoneyBook.com to offer Rebel Radio listeners 50% off the first year of HoneyBook with your promo code REBEL. So get over to HoneyBook.com today. Use the promo code REBEL for 50% off your first year. Again, that's HoneyBook.com promo code REBEL. So was there a moment when you realized that that was 
like where you felt like that that was a, a, a success or like you had you had accomplished something in that business there was a lot of moments one of them um was a moment for some reason and I, I i can't exactly tell you when it was it was some time in 1986 it was just a moment that i walked outside my the club that i worked i, I ran and it, it felt like every single person in los angeles was coming that night yeah. every direction i looked at there were people just coming the door was just insanity um yeah the club itself held you know uh you know, a couple few thousand people, and um, who was yeah. playing? What was that? Who was playing? No one. We never had. Well, it's true. Once in a while, we had we we had people play the club, but it was a dance club. It was the uh -huh. first dance club with the first super, you know, whatever, you know, star DJ. That that's really where its origins come from. And the why why I got involved with like electronic dance music was because my first partner was like the star dj uh not only in la but one would argue he was probably one of those well-known djs in the world i guess if it was a smaller world back then so it wasn't Who a was big that? deal matt dyke yeah and he later ended up producing paul's boutique by yeah, the dc yeah. boys and tone Loke and what yeah. you know tone Loke's wild thing and whatever but he was you know he was written about you know you know, we were, he was, his DJ style was written about and sure. copied and emulated. And I mean, it's funny you say that because we, you know, we know of Matt uh, through hip hop and, and his, you know, Beasties and his connection to Delicious Vinyl. Um, right. But almost everybody I know of, of that generation, like, so you talk about him as, as playing dance music, right? And that doesn't really happen today. I mean, there's this kind of open format thing which is a specific type of DJ, but all the DJs I know from back then played everything, right? Or they, or they, uh, or they didn't stick to genre as kind of a rule. Yeah, I mean, I think that it was fair to say, you know, coming from New York City and doing this nightclub in Los Angeles, there was like an LA sound that Matt Dyke pioneered. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you had been to a, a club, let's say like, if you went to like Paradise Garage yeah. in the 80s or if, and you compared that to going to Danceteria, um, you know, there were different styles of music. Matt Dyke truly was someone that, that was experimental in the sense that he, he actually played everything, mm. um, you know, and, you know, like I was saying about answering machines before answering machines, there was no hip hop. Right. So this was so there was no rap. There was no such thing as a rapper. You yeah. know, uh, I'm one of the first people in rap music because I used to hang out at the Rhythm Lounge and do graffiti paintings there. There's, so you wouldn't go to a club in New York and hear rap music right. at a dance club. Only yeah. in L.A. and only if Matt Dyke was playing at one point in time. We're talking like 1983, 84. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you could go to, like I did, you know, you could go see Grandmaster Flash. Mm -hmm. It was just when they were starting. So um, you were more likely to hear it at Danceteria than you would at, um, 
you know, any means. There was there was no mainstream about it. Sure. Um, which is bizarre. Yeah, I mean, that's such a foreign concept to think of now, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's, it's to me, it's all rock and roll. So it's just part of rock and roll, you know, and that's one of the, it's funny because people have referred to me specifically, especially in the music business, as the rock guy. Mm -hmm. But when rap came out, it was always more rock than rock and roll was at the time. First time I heard, uh, you know, N.W.A., always, you know, more punk rock than any punk rock that was out. Sure. Uh, first time I heard herb-style DJs and raves in California, way more punk rock than any of the rock that was out. But that was my take on it, and that was the reason why I was involved in it and the reason why I've been involved in those genres. As soon as they become mainstream, I appreciate you know, the stuff that I like, like I like mumble rap now way more than the rap that came before it. Is that right? Oh, fuck yeah. I mean, it was, rap was just in crisis as far as I, I, could, I could say. But now, you know, I actually listen to um, Sirius X, uh, uh, what is it, Sirius Hip Hop mm -hmm. uh, 44. That's mm -hmm. how old I am. I, I call it by the dial. And uh, I enjoy it. Like, I heard the new Brockhampton song this morning. Okay. And... Um, you know, I like them. They're not terribly original, but I, I think they're cool, yeah. you know? Tell them boys don't run from us. I've been down too long, cousin. I've been down too long, brother. Tell the world I ain't scared nothing. Tell the world I ain't scared jumping. Tell my boy I want to criminal it. Tell the world stop tripping. Now I build a different house with different functions. You know, I find like it's, it's hard for me to let go of certain attachments about what things are supposed to sound like or what they're supposed to mean or whatever. And, you know, I've had to... I don't think I've really gotten better about that. I've just accepted the fact that it's not for me. That like just because something, just because I'm not the intended audience, that doesn't mean it's bad, right? It's just not for me. But you know, I'm not able to distance myself, which I, it sounds like you are, from like what I think these things are supposed to be, based on my my own history with them, right? And so, but you know, clearly, if you, you know, I agree with you. It's it's all rock or we could argue it's all the blues right if we want to really get you know historical about it and when um, i'm saying rock i mean culturally i'm yeah. not really saying like you no, know i know what you mean when i when i think of the blues i don't think of like uh yeah I, my life has been a you know a, a blues journey because the blues journey is just like you know to me is like a hobo riding on a train in the 1930s but rock and roll journey is sort of like a musical journey you know it's like you know, and, you know, it's, it's guided by songs and people who are characters. And, yeah. You know, uh, so uh, that's why I came here today is talk to you about that. Still pretty passionate about it. For sure. Um, I, so especially I, with some coffee. <laughs> I, so, you know, I, I did a bunch of clubs. I never, I never thought about it as like a business. Like, I, it was always just something I did at night. And, it, you know, whether it makes, you know, maybe make some extra money, meet some girls, have fun, whatever, like all of that. Um, but what I remember about it was the, <clears throat> the roller coaster of emotions that you would go through pretty much every night of like, 
wondering, are people going to show up, you know, looking <laughs> at your empty room, maybe convinced that no one's going to show up. And then often like, you know, a packed house and a line down the block and like all of this stuff, like in one night. And, uh, you know, I thought I actually enjoyed that, you know, uh, and I, I imagine in the restaurant business, it's even worse. Um, I, worse is not like it's maybe even more pronounced, but did that, does that ever go away? Um, yes, it does. I mean, what, for me it did because, you know, at, at first I was doing this club, you know, first I actually worked at clubs, you yeah. know, like I was the doorman, you know, uh, or I painted the bathroom or whatever the hell I did. And then I was doing the club and the, actually Matt Dyke, my partner, every week he would be procrastinating about in his words dying a horrid death uh -huh. and it would it was ridiculous um by the time the club did die we were you know we were ready for it it was yeah. weird um but what happened to me was i went from doing these one night a week clubs and i moved to new york city and did a seven night a week club and once you start getting into the grueling yeah, that's uh, nature of doing seven night a week places, and then I graduated to doing five seven a night, night a week places. Uh, so I would literally just be going from one place to another off, and I'd just touch five different places, mm -hmm. you know, and I couldn't be there always in prime time. Uh, so, you know, obviously you do a bar and... Silver Lake on Monday nights, it's, you know, it's not packed, but you, you sort of remember the nights that they are packed. And also I always liked, I learned in New York city, the most fun I ever had personally was on Sunday nights, mm -hmm. you know, when everybody else went home. So yeah. me, I was like the guy who was out at three 30 in the morning on Sunday nights growing up when there was no one around except for, you know, what people would refer to as the freaks mm -hmm. so um so yeah so i kind of outgrew it because it became it just became sort of part of doing that business when you have so many days you know so many nights well yeah i'm sure that like i mean that's true of any business right once you scale to a certain point you can't be in every detail right um which is probably good in some ways uh if you're able to kind of look at the big picture instead of worrying about you know, how many people are in line on this block right now? I still get a kick, you know, when, when things get crazy, you know? Yeah. You know, sure. Why yeah, not? sure. If it's for a band or a, an event or a club, although I'm not really, you know, I just kind of graduated out of being a nightlife person, you know? Yeah. I just don't. I just don't do it anymore. It's kind of weird to say that, but it's just true. I mean, I go out, but not that much yeah. compared to like seven days a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I want to talk about music, but uh, but um, uh, you t last time I saw you, yeah, yeah great. Yeah. Um, last time I saw you, you told me uh, you were the first person to bring ecstasy to Los Angeles. Well, I wasn't the person who brought it, but I was the person that distributed it. I mean, not distributed. So it was like, still legal, right, at this it point? It was legal, yeah, yeah, it was legal. Not um, to get anyone in trouble. I was, you know, uh, it's true. I was, uh, I, maybe I, I shouldn't go on record saying that, but it is true. Uh, 
you know, how's that happen? Well, uh, there was a guy that that worked for me. Now I don't want to I don't want to like implicate anyone on. on no, 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 no. But there was a guy who worked for me. who was a deadhead. He was into the Grateful Dead, and the Grateful Dead was in town. And uh, you know, to make a long story short, you know, outside of my club, I was introduced to this hippie who was babbling away about this new pill he had, and he had all this paperwork, and it was legal, <laughs> and. Uh, I, you know, I ate one. Actually, first I had my, my friend eat one. Yeah. I had my friend eat one, and I came back in an hour. So how is, how's the, uh, how's this, uh, it was $20. That's one of the things I remember. It was $20, which was a lot of money yeah, in those yeah, days sure. for a pill. I for was like, how's pill. the $20 shit? Yeah. And my friend was like mumbling, blah, 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 pretty good, so I was like, I took out another 20. Remember, I owned a nightclub and I had like thousands of dollars stuffed in my pocket for my nightclub. Yep. I was collecting the money at the door. I took another 20 out and uh, I, I ate a pill. And then, you know, within an hour, I shook the guy down and bought all the pills he had and uh -huh. just went around the club giving them to everybody. Um, and uh, yeah. Um, as far as I know, you know, they stopped making the drug, I don't know, in the late 80s. Uh, all the ecstasy that, you know, from what I've been told is, is fake since then because they don't make the chemicals that made the original drug. But it was, oh, wow. I also, you know, ha had this theory in life that you're only allowed a certain amount of, a certain amount of trips. I know people that um, have done drugs a lot. Yeah. And I certainly have. But... All those drugs like acid and ecstasy, I've only, I only did them a certain amount of times. Huh. Feeling that they were like, uh, you only got a certain amount of trips, you know, before you started getting brain damage. Sure. <laughs> yeah, that's It was possible. kind of a, more of a, uh, a, a dark way of looking at it. So, um, you know, uh, I haven't really done one, like an ecstasy pill since the very first ecstasy came out really yeah because uh, i did a bunch of it when it first came out it was fun sure i bet yeah yeah that's funny i mean so peter katz has told me a story about being a club promoter in chicago and uh and seeing when ecstasy came in and just the impact that that had on the scene yeah i think that it, it you know it didn't really i mean my perception of it is it didn't really impact you know, that much on the scene until much later, mm. you know, probably a year or two later. It was very underground, mm -hmm. uh, you know, at the time that, that I was doing it. But uh, definitely by the time electric dance music, EDM, now we call it EDM, I like that term. But uh, electronica, the herb days, mm -hmm. um, I definitely feel like, uh, yeah. you know, uh, drugs affected that. You know, there was that club in Orlando that was really druggy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't remember the name. Everything in Orlando, I think. Is, yeah, yeah, is yeah. Maybe it was druggy. like a car dealership, Firestone or something like that. That, that was like a real druggy thing. And I think Funny. that, you know, um, you know it, affected, it affected the rave scene. I think that raves were 
judged by the drugs at the scene. Although I was straight, you know, I uh-huh. gave up drugs and, you know, and alcohol before even all that started. So I never, I never did any of that. By the time that started, to me, it was all, it was all bathroom garbage right. people were taking. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't the good stuff. No, I'm sure. I don't know that we're that discerning again, in that again, environment. Uh, again, that's my jaded personality and the way I think, but it has nothing to do with reality. No, I get it. Uh, but but I but I would. You're you're the guy from Murder Magazine. You you could confirm that about about the electronica dance. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. You know, I don't know that dance music would be what it is today without ecstasy, right? Because that was, I think, a big part of people going to raves. Um, was to have this experience, right? And, and, you know, some people would argue, especially at that time, that the music was really secondary, <clears throat> that it was a, it was a soundtrack to uh-huh. what yeah. you're going through, right? Um, you know, I, and so, yeah, I think it had a massive impact on just the entire evolution of that culture. Completely, yeah, I, 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 I agree. Um, on the culture, yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. I haven't really thought too much about it recently. You know, as far as like those events, and you know, I, I used to go to quite a bit of bit of those. Yeah. You know, like uh, me too. Not Pascal's so much raves. Yeah. Just to go check them out, or you know, you know, I was talking about. I was trying to sign that band Underworld. And I went to this rave and in England and I just couldn't believe people were out there. It was so cold and wet. Totally. Uh, luckily I was with the manager, you know, I was I was it was just like like one of these T V shows like Sur- you know, Survivor or something like that. It was just horrible. Uh-huh. Um and everyone was just completely out of their minds and there I was with this manager who's a Buddhist. We were like drinking sipping tea and totally, uh-huh. totally straight edge, like, uh, guys, like, backstage sipping tea while these people are going crazy. So it was happening, you know, over there as well, I think. You know, every week I like to promote one of our old episodes, get you back into the Rebel Radio archives. Uh, this week, on a very sad note, we lost uh, one of our previous guest super cw she's a great dj and an important fixture in the hawaii nightlife scene um she was diagnosed with cancer back in 2015 and was really open on our on our interview about what she went through blogging snapchatting her her battle with cancer and unfortunately um, she passed away just this last week so shout out to uh cw's family and friends and everybody that knew and loved her she was a, a, you know, a great, great light and source of inspiration. I hope you'll go back and listen to that episode. And now let's get into uh, the rest of John Seidel. So you talked about getting into the music business in your 30s. What was the, was there a moment when you sort of decided this, this thing's over and now I'm going to do something different? Yeah, I think when I got married, I was, you know, uh, my first marriage, I was, you know, had a kid, I was burning out on all the nights. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 
you know, there's a repetition in a nightclub and restaurant business. So I had moved from nightclubs into restaurants and bars, and it was a repetition that was just not that creative. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd built a bunch of places with, with my ex-partner in those, those uh, restaurants and bars. And, uh, you know, I was always a rock and roller. I had been in bands and sort of, uh, you know, wanted to do music business, but I felt like my logic was, how could you work in the music business if you weren't in a band first? Because like, you know, like everyone who was in the music business, I would just look at them and be like, doesn't that guy just want to be in the band? So <laughs> I decided funny. to start a band. This is in my 20s. Yeah. And I was in a, you know, a, a band and played in bands while I was doing nightclubs. And I, I kind of got that out of my system. And then, you know, was ready to sell all my music, I mean, my nightclub, not nightclubs, excuse me, restaurants and bars. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I was off, I started my own record label. It was short lived because I was offered uh, a couple of jobs in the music business as an A&R. I took one of them working with a division of Geffen mm -hmm. called Outpost. Mm -hmm. and, um, and that's where I've been in that world for like 25 years now. Yeah. Yeah. What what were the what did you take with you? What were the lessons that you brought with you from your previous business? Just what was cool, you know, like, you know, just just going with my instincts on what was cool, but I but it's taken a long time to really understand uh a combination of like instincts, ta like my own taste. And then I'm almost like, uh, you know, I view it sort of in a funny way, like I'm a rock and roll rabbi, but I'm, a, I'm almost like a historian. Like, so I do believe that there's patterns and I, I've, I've definitely learned from uh, things that I've done and, and a lot of things that I haven't done in the music business. So I just, you know, try to navigate. Right now is a very difficult time. In music just to navigate the music business, you know, for, for me personally. So I'm just, you know, I'm not projecting it on everyone. Sure. There's other people that are having a beautiful time, but the music is, is different. Uh, I'm older and, um, you know, the, the biggest thing is that now we're in a total streaming economy and that, and that's really affected things. Yeah. Do you still believe that um, people should be in a band before they get into the music business? Or not necessarily a band, but like performing, making music? You know, it doesn't really matter what I believe, I don't think, anymore. Um, well, if you went to speak at, uh, you know, Clive Davis School of Music and talk to a bunch of students studying the music business, would you tell them, you guys should all go out and join bands? Or be performers or, or make music. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wouldn't because most of the companies are saturated by, you know, uh, uncreative, you know, interns that have worked their way up into the company. And that's the sure. reason why the companies are, are not really very creative and they're, they're not really exciting places to be. This is my opinion, but like... Um, you know, you know, I would tell someone who was young, 
yeah, you know, graduate college and get a job as an interview and kiss ass. You probably do better than be talented and make some cool art. But, you know, that, I mean, it gets you the job. But does that keep, is that like... We don't know because it's, it's, it's a new era of, of... But from what I can tell, you know, it's obviously a combination and things now... You know, it's like someone took a can of, you know, and shook it up and then turned it upside down and now they lifted it up and it's like a whole new business. So who knows? I mean, definitely, you know, what's, there's, there's, how should I put this? There, there's a lot of in, influence by Spotify and Apple and people yeah. are, are, are fanatical about numbers you know like two years ago we were like when it comes to music business we were in like sort of a post-streaming depression now we're in like you know spotify mania where it's mm -hmm. all about someone's numbers mm -hmm. and then like everyone in the music business is chasing these numbers and trying yeah. to figure out how to you know, it's all about numbers on everything like social networks instagram numbers yeah following everyone's like it's all about following for sure i mean i think that's true not just in music. Definitely you know, not just uh, in music. You know, we see that in in every brand that we work with, right, on on the corporate side, right, is like this preoccupation with things that can be measured or that you can find on a spreadsheet. Um, often it kind of missing the big picture, right? And, and, and I definitely happen to believe that... Um, the hyper focus on Spotify is a is a really dangerous thing for the for the music business and for everyone involved. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I mean, it's you know, it's offset by the fact that they the algorithms they have to follow your own listening patterns produce right playlists that are enjoyable and they're cool. Um, sort of. I mean, yes, I, I understand what you're saying. Sort of, but the um, you know the music that they're pushing out and the power they have to do it is, is, uh, is not favorable to real artists. It's, right. um, you know, and it also, at least it feels like, and I'm, I'm not that familiar with Apple because to be honest, I don't have the patience to do both. So I'm mm. more of a Spotify. It feels like, um, Spotify in America is sort of like America, you know, look at, the, uh, the other night's election is just like it reflects like you know half the people are a bunch of redneck assholes and the other half of people are you know urban people that are cool and they all have different tastes and values and so it's sort of like you know there's no you know there's no culture being led by creative tastemakers like I feel like they like happened organically in the past. I, I hope it resolves itself, but I don't know. It's funny. I mean, so I grew up a clubber. I started going to clubs when I was 14 and never, well, I guess now I stopped, but took, you know, that lasted me. A, you too, right? Yeah, for sure. But you know, that has to be a big chunk of my life. And it wasn't until later. So I can't, I, I went, you know, I moved here for UCLA which was my first exposure to people from the Midwest. And like basically people who had never been to a, to a club. And especially at that time, 
clubbing was this underground thing, right? And, and you know, when I moved to LA, there were no clubs in Hollywood, like, or at least not for the kind of music that I was looking for, which meant we were driving, you know, out to East LA, or we were driving to the Compton Swap Meet, or we were driving to like all these crazy places, which now seems insane that you would drive that distance, right? Um, but that's the way it was, and that's how all my friends behaved. And so, you know, over the years, I started coming to contact. And so I started to believe that that distinction between people who go to clubs and people who don't tells you a lot about who somebody is. And um, what's my point of this? Oh, so, like, there was, you know, nightclubs. I know I'm not telling you anything, but... You know, you had to know about it and know how to get there. You had to know how to get in, which in some cases meant dressing a certain way. Some cases it meant knowing somebody or just being the right kind of being the right kind of person for that club. Right. Um, Because there was a guy, you know, in a velvet robe who was whose job it was to keep certain people out. Not at every club, but right. That was part of the thing. And, um, you know, so what's happening in music is. In, in many other areas of life is this idea of democratization which is you know essentially created by a lot of people who never went to a club and could never get into a club um, because they weren't cool and they wanted to make elements of that accessible to everybody but it misses that kind of fundamental understanding of what it was like inside to have that experience and that connection with everybody else, right? And so, kind of rambling, but you know, I think that oh, I'm you're, you're talking you're talking to somebody I totally understand. So uh, there was a question in there somewhere, but I don't so really you know, know what it is. I'm not the one that invented the velvet rope. Of course, but I'm definitely the one that brought it to California. I'm the one that stood by it, and I was the one holding the velvet rope or manning the door at the coolest nightclub in L.A. And if you didn't know me or I didn't think you were cool, you were not getting by me. It yeah. just was, that's the way L.A. was yeah. in 1985. So I totally relate to that. And I and there was, we crossed a bridge. I remember reading an article uh, in the New York Times about a, a pop artist. I can't remember who it was, but it was sort of like... It was a, I think it might have been Robert Hilburn or someone who was a really good writer. So it was like, it was almost like the death of the cool, mm-hmm. where it was like all this cool designer stuff. They put this cool designer stuff on this pop artist, and now all stuff that was cool is uncool. At some point, clubs became like Disneyland. It's yeah. not cool. It's just something that the masses do, and maybe the same with music um, sure uh, but I feel like music is more magical than like nightclubs like I, I like that word magic mm. it has a way to <clears throat> to bring everyone together and to transcend I mean there's like just listen to the Beatles still to me it feels like anyone could listen to it or you know um, you know even the new Childish Gambino has a little bit of that to me, you know, where it really could bring, like, the right song could bring everyone together. So, so I like that about it. But I definitely think the way the business is and the way, the, you know, it's ironic that we're here in this place because sure. 
you know, it's like we're in this pop manufacturing uh, dungeon here. They're Not gracious enough dungeon. to give us yeah. give us some time to trash their business model. No, um, I'm not trashing the business model. It's like I'll, I'll, no, no, I'll no, try I, to I take advantage of it if I can. Of course. Just try to try to you know create solutions for artists that like a childish Gambino, or I really like his producer, you know, um, as well. Those you know those two yeah. make cool stuff. So it's for everybody. What, um, do you remember the first time, so you, you're in the music business, you're signing stuff. Do you remember the first time you heard something you signed out in public? Hmm, out, oh, Jesus, let's think. I don't know. The first time. Well, I signed, you know, that electronic band, the Crystal Method. Uh -huh. I remember seeing seeing them very early on um, at a rave, but it was, you know, it was actually, I had gone up to Seattle to see them at a rave. And uh, like in those days, a rave was like maybe 150 kids in Seattle. Uh, but I remember seeing them and they did, you know, Keep Hope Alive. I don't know. You probably remember the song, but sure. I don't know. But um, One of the reasons why I went on, I went up there, was because they were on, uh, they were on the specialty show uh, on the big radio station there. The end, I mm -hmm. believe it's still in existence. Mm -hmm. um, you know what freaks me out is that, uh, although it's not the first time I heard it in public, you know, having signed the white stripes you know hearing seven nation army on so many occasions at oh, sports yeah. events a lot of times you know a lot of times i'll take out the camera and you know i remember being at a galaxy game but during the world series you hear it all the time sure and um you know that feeling it was actually the feeling i had you know being involved in signing the band before we heard Seven Nation Army, mm. and then being one of the first people to hear the song and go like, wow, you know, I knew this was gonna be something special and it really sounds like this is something special. Like, you know, like I use that word magical and like yeah. the way that song comes out of the speakers, it's not even a very hi-fi song. It just kind of just flies out of there. A uh, producer once told me that Mick Jagger, when he sings, uh, you know, you could turn him all the way down and turn everyone in the band up, and he, you could still hear him in the mix. So I don't, like those kind of things, I don't need to know. Yeah. Uh, and those are the best things about being involved in music, you know, when it, it sort of transcends, you know, all, you know, uh, you know what I say like all you know anything that makes sense like when you can't figure out why this is so cool that's those are the moments I look for sure. you know like 
you know. So, so think about that for a minute. So, like a song like that, which is magical, um, you know, commercially important, culturally important. You know, it was, it was a, you know, two years ago, his first song my kid learned to play on guitar, right? And so, you know, to have that kind of lasting impact. Um, so being part of that, like how, how, how does that affect you going, you know, going on? Like, how, do you use that at times throughout the rest of your career? You know what? I think if, if I had, if I hadn't been a part of it and I was a bullshit artist and been telling everyone around about like how I was involved in it, I'd probably be able to benefit from it. But to be honest with you, all of those things that I've been involved with, when I, when I look back at them and where I see them happening, if anything, it just kind of makes, it puts me in a state of like awe. Like I just don't even know how to comprehend it. Like I've seen, you know, uh, photographs of flyers that I made for nightclubs and I look at it and it almost makes me go like, whoa, you know? Um, so, uh, I don't know really how to react to it. Uh, I you don't really it. feel part of it. Yeah. I feel like in awe of it, mm -hmm. but I don't feel part of it. You draw energy from that stuff? I'll smile, that's about it. <laughs> okay. It'll make me smile, but that's about it. You know, I'll think back or I'll remember someone from back in the day. Yeah. Your memory will pop up. Yeah. It's weird when you get older, you like, like uh, you have more information up there so it's like things you know tend to go in the back and then sometimes something will happen and someone will just pop out you'll just yeah, be like sure. oh yeah i remember you know i was sitting in this place when that thing happened and this person i went around to that guy or that girl that's funny you say that because i remember my wife and i always talk about how her kid like remembers everything and it's like you know it took me a little while to realize well like he's only got 30 memories so of course he can access all of them right because there's only you know only a few things have happened to him yet in his life i said from I, I always said this uh after all the people after being a doorman and then all the people i i um i met in the nightclub days every time i meet someone someone else would drop out the back back of my head you know <laughs> sure but uh some days man i'll remember someone or something yeah uh it's uh it's, it's it's life's a trip yeah absolutely um so where do you find energy now like what what keeps you creative and moving forward hmm where do i find energy from uh you know man i i you know when, when it comes to work i definitely you know music you know still you know will save my life and make my day at any given point of the day mm. um you know a lot of my growth now you know is really like sort of internal like i hate to use the word spiritual but like you know the like uh you know in some ways a lot of it has to do with that. I mean, it's like, yeah. uh, uh, it sounds cheesy when I say it out loud, but that's sort of like, you know, uh, where, you know, where my, my goals are is just to sort of like, 
you know, be open to the universe. In fact, I, I heard the other day that, a, you know, an alien spaceship had entered our galaxy Oh, yeah, or yeah, that comet. I heard it might not be true, but... No, but, uh, I think it's actually an asteroid. Uh, but, yeah, but, you know... You know fun uh, to think about. Uh, that was like, wow, that was like really intriguing to me. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I just also, you know, uh, I get inspired, you know, to see how the kids are doing. Although, you know, sometimes that's that's a, you know, a roller coaster ride. Sure. You know, I got two kids, so. Yeah, of course. So, um, so, you got the radio show. Yeah, I do a weekly radio show on the thevinyldistrict.com. Mm -hmm. Listening to the Idelic Hour. It's an hour of groovy sounds beaming to you from the heart of Laurel Canyon. So, without further ado, let's begin this week's episode of the Idelic Hour. And, um, you know, so for some reason you were curious, you wanted to, you know, it's in my mind, it's, it, it actually answers your question because it's basically a sort of a living diary um, uh, using, uh, call it 20, a list of 20 songs um, to kind of, you know, kind of reach out, you know, maybe it's to the universe or to whoever's listening and just sort of put it out there. I, you know, I don't really understand why. Yeah, I'm doing it for the same reason you're doing this. Yeah. I don't know. But, but, uh. You do it because you have to. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I like sharing music, it's important to me. So, so I'm doing that. Um, I'm doing A&R and publishing and managing bands and doing music consulting and, uh, marketing. I'm very into videography mm. and how, um, uh, filmmaking is going to alter what I call, not alter, but be uh, influential on what I call, you know, rock and roll, like music culture. I think that's, uh, there's going to be some really interesting things and those videos are going to be, you know, specifically probably posted mostly on Instagram, yeah. maybe Facebook. So it's sort of like an interesting, like how you create a narrative of an artist, how an, an artist, you know, perceives themselves and puts it out in the public, you know, uh, using a series of posts. Mm -hmm. And um, so I'm trying to set myself up to be um, someone that gets involved with people that do, you know, creates that, um, that narrative in a very cool way with music and visuals and videography. And so I think it's early days on that, but um, you know, I find that pretty exciting. So we, we talked about the magic and we talked about the, the analytics and kind of the business side of that. So when you're now doing A&R publishing management, what are you looking for? That's a good question. Um, it's a combination of things. I was like boxes you could tick, you mm -hmm. know. Um, you know, one of the things that's been on my mind, uh, along with the artists that I work with, uh, you know, is where, you know, 
what can I do with that artist and how I can, you know, add to it, you know, mm. can I do everything at this point in my career? And the answer is maybe <laughs> because of that. So I try to, I'm trying to work with artists that I feel <coughs> right size to do and partner with people that, you know, can help. It's all, it's, it becomes not all about me. So, you know, I look for songs, talent, um, you know, uh, how that person, you know, reacts to what I consider this narrative that they will need to have to mm -hmm. succeed mm -hmm. and uh, their willingness to do that and how far along they are in creating a narrative or creating uh, a social network and where that would go, whether it's, uh, like I'm very interested in, you know, film composers who also could be artists. Mm -hmm. I'm also interested in um, songwriters who could make rock songs, but also could have those songs hit the edges of pop. I'm, I'm trying to go, you know, towards the, the edgier things. Artists that can move around the world, the country, yeah. Europe, and tour yeah. and play, and and how their narrative and social network can interact with their moving around the world and and touring. So those are some of the things that I really look for. Cool is the word, the channel that I'm on. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to be as mainstream as other people, like everything's so geared towards pop. Yeah. I, I enjoy a pop hit. Sure. But, uh, uh, you know, you know, it's more about an aesthetic and an art and, I, and I'm hoping for a, a, a culture that will live within this whole digital world that um, I can have a, have a, good time working with artists in that culture that are like-minded people like ourselves you know what i mean that yeah. don't have to be everything for everyone sure just want to you know be in business and be happy doing it you know absolutely well so on that note i got to get to a little lightning round before we get uh kicked out of here um what's your favorite city to travel to paris Right now, Paris. Who's your favorite DJ? Matt Dyke. <laughs> He's not alive, but yeah. does that have to be a living DJ? No, not at all. Okay. What was the last great book you read? When it was you last Can't time? Win. Oh, wow. By I don't Jack know Black. Oh, yeah? Yeah, that'll be... Cool. What movie have you seen the most in your life? I don't know. I'm just going to say Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Okay. That's a good one. That's a, I think that's first on the show. Tell me one decision that changed your life forever. I mean, to get married. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely. So complete this sentence. I don't have talent. I have blank. Uh... I don't have talent, but I'm cool. 
If I worked for you, what's something I would hear you say over and over? Go with your instincts. Mm. Who would you be most excited to learn appreciates your work? Hmm. Trying to think of someone who's alive. <laughs> Let me ask you a different way. <clears throat> Thinking back. <clears throat> Power tools or, <clears throat> excuse me, power tools are one of the restaurants. Who walked in that made you the most excited to see in your, in your venue? Um, Joseph Lee Boyers, conceptual artist. <laughs> okay. Nice. He actually gave me a piece of art which I did not understand for a long time. That's cool. Yeah. You didn't understand the art or why he gave it to you? No, I just didn't understand what it was. But oh. it, was a, um, it was a little piece of paper that big, and on it it said, in very small writing, it said perfect, but you could only read it if you had 20-20 vision. That's cool. Yeah. That is conceptual. I mean, he's a famous guy. He's yeah. A famous, well, he's no longer alive, I'm sure. I don't yeah. know. That's awesome. John, thanks for doing this. It was right, cool. so much fun talking to you. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah. No, I enjoyed it. I like doing these. Um, and I'm totally impressed with, with your questions, you know. Thanks. Uh, from the hip. Yeah, it's, it's fun. From the hip. Yeah, that was John Seidel on Rebel Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Make sure you leave us a comment or a review on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on Spotify. And uh, hit, us, hit us on Twitter, hit us on Facebook, at Rebel Radio Net. You can check out videos from a lot of our episodes on our YouTube page, at Rebel Radio Net. Most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace.